for some reason, decided to scrub me in this, when she get into a mood, she would scrub me down in this wash tub and call me a murderer. And that went on uh, from time to time uh, uh, until I was five. Welcome to From Betrayal to Breakthrough. I'm Dr. Debbie Silber, and today's guest is Elisa Stansil Levine. Nature, Elisa's lifelong ally, provided her solace when she faced secret abuse beginning at two years old, teen pregnancy, her baby stillbirth, and a mystical near-death experience shaped her character. Following the death of her fiancé and business failure, she relied on drugs to mask her pain. Reconnecting with her essential self, her own innocence, allowed her to transform her trauma into a wildly successful career. When you have zero reference for what safety looks like, life can be very confusing. How do you untangle it so you can build a sense of safety and security? You're about to find out as you listen to this conversation I'm having with Elisa Stancil Levine. Here we go. Okay, everybody, I'm with Elisa Stancil Levine. And, you know, I always talk about post betrayal transformation, which is not only rebuilding your life, rebuilding yourself after an experience with betrayal. Well, Elisa is on to share with us many experiences with betrayal. And if you're wondering how in the world am I ever gonna heal from my experience? I brought on someone who's healed from many experiences and I hope you are as inspired by her as I was simply by reading what uh, she's gonna be sharing. So welcome, Elisa. Hi, hi there. It's really great to see you and happy to be here. Oh, I'm so glad. So before we really dive into actionable strategies to move forward from trauma, can you and from betrayal, can you share with us a bit of your background? Yes, I'm I'm have this intense visual memory and it actually made it very easy for me uh, to have a very strong memory of very early childhood. And my first real memory is standing out in the on a little path and realizing I'm on the planet and I'm here. And I remember just reaching my arms up so excited, you know, to just greet the world. And I realized I I I, I can't even talk. I didn't I could I could only just make a sound. And then a bird flew and the trees danced around in the wind and I felt so beloved. I felt so so joyful, right? And that was amazing. Um, uh, I want you to know that's, I think, the, imp the imprinting that I got about nature and how nature was safe and nature was free and that I belonged. And this was so healing and such a blessing. Okay, so thank, thank you for uh, having a visual memory is what I have to say. So uh, as time continued, it turned out, my actual family of origin, my parents uh, were really a dichotomous group and they, there was no real solace at home. They were just very distant with each other and with us. And my grandmother and grandfather, step-grandfather became my favorite world. And I very much bonded with my step-grandfather, um, but unfortunately it came to pass that he was actually a pedophile and had already abused others in the family, other girls, and then moved on to me before I could talk. 
And from there he moved, he abandoned me. And I, you know, see, I didn't know it was bad. I thought it was uh, belonging and special, you know, and that's just what I thought. And then when I started talking, he moved on to my little cousin who was just one year younger. So she was a year and a half and I was two and a half. And I just remember seeing him walk away with her and thinking, oh, okay. So this was my introduction to that kind of abandonment. And then the other big deep imprinting thing was my grandmother was very, very religious in a different religion than I was. And she, for some reason, decided to scrub me in this, would you get into a mood? She would scrub me down in this wash tub and call me a murderer. And that went on uh, from time to time and, and, until I was five. I have to stop you there. Why in the world was she calling you a murderer? It makes no sense. And so finally, thank the Lord, I said to myself, this can't go on. I was five and a half. We were riding in her car by ourselves for a very rare occasion. And I said, Grandma, why do you call me a murderer? I'm just a little child. And she said, well, it doesn't matter. You're Catholic. And the Catholic killed thousands and thousands of people during the Crusades. So it's just like you did it yourself. Oh, my goodness. Yes. So I'm like, I was, so this was in 1955. Okay. So Crusader Rabbit was a new cartoon. <laughs> I looked it up. It was really about 1952. So I was like, what is she talking about? You know, I, I knew right away. I don't know what she's talking about. So I just like erased that, her, that whole thing. Just like, I can't, this, I have no traction here. And I looked out and I saw we were driving by all these pear orchards. And you know, Debbie, when you drive by an orchard, how the, the, rows just open and then close like a fan and it's just totally mesmerizing mm -hmm. and this is how i use nature for to offset these confusing and conflicting and unkind things just i just go and dream off and and, and we're definitely going to talk more about nature but now here you are you're 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 one and a half you're two you're five what's the the sort of meaning you made out of these two experiences what were you telling yourself based on that because we know it that really really most transformative years yeah and all the time that of course i'm 72 now my friends so i've had some time to think about this stuff and i want to say that you know I, I could give you all this philosophical answer but in fact what i decided was it's up to me that's it it's up to me if i want to feel free if i want to feel safe i have to be in charge of it these other people you know, and I really, really, unfortunately, this is where I say there's unintended consequences to your, how you form your belief system as a, a little child. So the unintended consequence was people, not so much, nature, everything. So I designed my life around, you know, making a way, my way with what I knew was safe and free. Okay. So, so it was like, I, I can trust and believe and feel safe in nature because I cannot trust, feel safe, and believe in people. Is that, is that- It's not even because, it's like, it's evident. Here's this, which loves me and, and, I'm, and, and I'm welcome in, and I belong to, you know, essence is everywhere around me when I'm out there in the, in the world of nature. Right. And then when I'm with humans, essence is, is, is mystery, it's a mystery. I cannot, I have no access. So. Okay. Yeah. So, so here's this big mystery and, and coming from some 
some, uh, you know, I guess these these people who you trusted and believed in who are telling you some things that are not empowering in the least or doing things that are helping your self-esteem or yeah. whatever. What did it lead to? So here you were. So take us from five and, and take us forward a little bit. Terrified that I might be a murderer, I have to tell you, truthfully. And keep in mind, as a Catholic for the first 16 years of my life, because of my mother's religion, hearing the priest and all these people say that uh, there was original sin, we were born a sin, sinner. And, you know, the only thing you got to say in church is, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come in under my roof, say, but the word and my soul shall be healed. Okay, that was the only English. It was all Latin other than that. Okay, way back in the day. And I just, then I was very skeptical. What in the heck? Why would God? No, I just couldn't make any of these things make sense. So I tossed all that out as much as I could, but deeply. And hang on, I'm going to stop you right there because that's one of those things that takes a lot of strength to be able to do because most people, they assume, well, this must be true. This must be real. This must be right because these big, important people are all saying it. So it takes a tremendous amount of of strength to even be willing to question these things. I think this is exactly right, Debbie. And I think that one of the things that was very, very, very helpful to me is how curious I am naturally. Mm -hmm. And what happened and this courage aspect really, I think, came from having this little ace in the hole. My my home, my home folks, the nature itself, the river, the canyon, the trees, I mean the rocks, everything. I, I found love. Okay, so uh, but then also we, when you realize that you're looking in the contrast, as I think one of your recent podcasts, we're talking about contrast, right? And contrast, you know, is, is such a fantastic teacher. You know, without contrast, what would we have, Debbie? Yeah. I, you know, I guess I would just have oatmeal, you know, day and night, right? <laughs> so, the, you know, being this curious person and seeing all these different things happening um, and making these choices I was just tumbling forward. It wasn't like I had this grand vision at five or 12. And, and finally at 12, I decided I'm going to write my own um, philosophy, how to be human. You know, it just seemed obvious that the trees are treeing, the river is rivering, rocks are rocking. They, they know what they're doing. What are we doing? I don't get what we're supposed to be doing. And so this, you know, two-page philosophy that I wrote very carefully because I was sure it would be published in Time magazine on the back page, um, really just said, you know, what is the purpose? Um, and I, it's just really, uh, the first word that came to my mind is sensitivity, like the good kind. I had always been told I was too sensitive, but in a bad way. Okay, so- I'm in that same club too, I got gotcha. <laughs> you. Right. So what is this sensitivity, you know? And why do I feel all these things? And so I just thought, you know, really the whole building block has to be caring and sensitivity. And if we're doing this and seeing what is real, our job, because we can speak and move, we should just share what we see that's beautiful in the world. We can bring all the good things to all other people. I can tell you about a tree I saw and you will know that tree, right? But the tree will be standing long ago and, you know, 50 years ago. Um, so this is the beauty of our ability, right? And this is... Yeah. So. so, okay. So here you are, you're 12 years old and you write this paper because you're questioning what, what you're learning, what you're seeing, what's being, what's being told to you. How was that received? 
Oh. Who did you well, see? This is the thing. This there's something better. The first person I decided, I guess I didn't tell you this. It's so funny. The first person I wanted to share it with was my mother's therapist because she had taken us to him and she was a very depressive person and and he was very organized and seemed to think that I was going to be a writer and all these great things. So I thought, well, of course, I will show him because he will see me. And so I had an appointment with him and I took it in very carefully. I didn't, I was, my hands were so sweaty. I didn't want to get the paper all damp. So I take it and I lay it on his desk and he reads it and then he pushes it across the desk and says, well, clearly you copied this from somewhere. Uh, and I mean, that was, I mean, and then I, I, I was so st stunned and hurt. I couldn't speak even right now. It's like my, you know, and so that was it. He, it I have this special thing where I turn someone to dust in my mind. He just becomes dust. He ceases to exist. I'm done with him. He, he's done. Dust. And unfortunately, I must say my courage ended there and I did not even save the essay and I didn't send it anywhere. I didn't know how to send it anywhere. You know, I just thought I would, he would like it and then he would help me figure out how to get it published. Right. What's the big deal? So, so did you, so at that point, because here's the thing, and it's, you always hear these stories about, let's say there's a student and they go to their, um, oh, the, the advisor, right? The student advisor, and then, oh, you can never get into that college or whatever. Yeah. And so they yeah. don't, and they believe what that person said. And, mm -hmm. and it sounds like here, your, your uh, process of sort of turning someone into dust, were you doing that so that what they said or did didn't hold any value to you or that was what yeah I want him to just be become just he just crumbled to nothing like a little pile of dust and then I could look again so I looked again and I said wow there's this woman this this famous nun who's getting all kinds of energy sister Mary Carita she was a anti-war activist and mm -hmm. she was uh and I thought well I could go I need to get away from my little town, which I call American, a cross between American graffiti and deliverance. Um, I need to get away from this little town. I'll go nowhere here. Maybe I can go to the school where this, this nun is. Well, I found this uh, boarding school that was just south of San Francisco, and we lived in Northern California. And I showed it to my mother, and she was thrilled. She thought this would be great. We went to tour it. My dad made a big deal out of it. Everything seemed to be like great. I loved everything about it. And they had a big program for art. That particular nun did not work, is not, was not there, but they still had a big program for art and perfect literature. So why not go there? Well, during the summer, after I got accepted and everything, they had a regime change without letting anyone know. And the new sister Marie Damien wanted everyone to wear white gloves and have silent retreat and study religion. And this is, I, I, I land there, I look around, I see that the art studio is locked up, all the bikes that you could ride, all the tires are deflated. And I'm thinking, what's happening? You know, and then I tried to make my best of it. It, it was just a horrible. And so again, out of the frying pan into the fire, you know, this or something better. The title of this book that memoir that I've written is really about you know, so you have what you have and you believe you know what you're doing and then you reach and sometimes that is not the place that you're going to end up. Okay, so so it was best of intentions and then it didn't turn out the way you planned. Now, how old were you and then what happened next? I was 14. Um, 
And I came back from, I gained, I think about 27 pounds in one semester, left there, came home. Everybody said that I had gotten pregnant and had the, the, the school gossip was I'd gone away and had a baby because why would I be so pudgy all of a sudden? I'm very athletic, so it didn't make sense. So I know, I could see right away, there was, I had no way to counter this little, you know, rumble. This couldn't. So I just thought, well, forget it. I, I know I love running. I'm a fat, I'm the fastest at my school. And so I will um, put together a women, girls track team. So I went to the, um, I got six girls that all agreed that had great running times. And there were actually already, even though there was no title nine, there were a couple of other schools that had a girls running teams. So I went to run cross country, you know, and distance running. So I went to the principal and I told him what I wanted to do. And he said, well, give me a little time and we'll get back together. So we, a week later, he calls me back in and he said, here's what we're going to do. You're going to love this. We're going to give you, you girls your own little uniforms, your own little clipboards, little keep saying, and your own little stopwatches. And you can keep the boys times. Yes. And I mean, it's just like, okay, this is not going to work for me. Okay. No, you, you're turning them into dusting right there. <laughs> okay, Another dusty guy. Okay. So um, then I'm like, okay, what will I do? Cause I'm bored and you know, I'm trying to, you know, I mean, even in my English teacher said, Oh, you're a great writer, but you're just going to work. You're just going to end up being married to somebody and going to the country club. He tells me, right. This is just like, this is the way it was. It was 1964. So I thought, well, I'll get a boyfriend, you know, so something to do. And so I wrote a list of what I wanted and he wanted something very strong. And this became my first boyfriend. And then we started having sex. And then I thought, well, this is a sin. So I need to get married. <laughs> so I was like, I just felt, I'm just leaping forward to the next thing. Right. Anyway. So it took a long time is what I must say to stop leaping forward with my assumptions about how to be, a human and successful on the planet a long time. Right. So what, okay. So you got married and are you, are, are, are ideas changing in your mind about, you know, how, how people are showing up for you and what you need to do and what beliefs yes. you need to have? Absolutely. Because in the, you know, the idea of safety and freedom is never far from my thoughts, how to be. And you know, the idealized version is you'd have both of these things at the same time and they'd be at a hundred percent. That's not possible in any case, no matter what, but yeah, I'm young. So this is what I'm looking, seeking. And so it turns out, no, this uh, is not to be this man that I chose was exactly what I said. I wanted He was strong, had a great sense of humor, beautiful, uh, but not very bright. And in from a very disadvantaged family and uh, all the things that I thought, you know, like by the time I was 19, we were 18 and I'd already had the first baby. That baby had died at birth, you know, because I got pregnant when I was 16. That baby died at birth right after we had been allowed to get married. And that was a crushing, crushing thing because I knew to me, I had made this promise. I will keep my baby safe. I was really inventing a companion, I think. And, you know, this is a sad but re real condition. People try to create someone to, to love. So here I was. And I was busy with this baby, promising everything and had to 
defend the fact that I wouldn't get an abortion, would not give the baby away, insisted that I would get married. I finally got married when I was seven and a half months pregnant. Baby born and died at birth. Um, the way that I handled that, you know, I really knew that I couldn't cope. I just couldn't. And I, I prayed and prayed to the baby. I apologized so many times to him. And yet it I just couldn't seem to get out of this deep pain. And I was lost all the baby weight immediately. And my mom sent me up with an appointment with a therapist. I went to the therapist and he was insisting that I would take some pills. And I said, I don't need to forget. I don't need, I don't need pills. This is not, this is not what I'm looking for. And I walked out. He left, he had the prescription. He kept trying to push it on to me. And I just walked out and went down to my little house and I took a very sturdy chair and I beat the hell out of this knotty pine paneling in the kitchen and just beat and beat and beat and beat that, just screaming, no, no, no. Then curled up on the floor and cried. And then I was okay then. I that stood was up. sort of the dark night of the soul moment. Yes. And yeah. I've had a few of those. And, and I actually have this technique that I love Based and on that, to us, please, because here I want everybody who's watching, listening to know sometimes it takes that rock bottom and there's nowhere else to go but up. And it is the most painful. We always remember when we're there. Uh, but that's that's when, you know, what's that beautiful saying? I, I believe by Rumi, something like it's only with through the crack, the light shines in. Yes, that's, exactly. And that's where the light shines in. So what happened for you? What was your process? Well, it. Now I can identify that when I'm getting this welling up of pain and anger and feeling hopeless, okay, this hopelessness is not something I really do well with. Um, I could be out, I may say to myself, I need to go out on a hike. I may grab a big stick and I mean, I'm out in the middle of 30 miles of trails and I can just beat that. I ask permission to a, like a rock or a big log and I beat it and beat it and beat it until I'm done beating it. Or at my studio, I would, you know, when I was totally frustrated, maybe with a client, you know, or a contractor that I just cannot get. I mean, I really can see that rage is getting in my way and it's not going to help. It's not really appropriate. So I need to get it vented out. So in my studio, I have these big boxes and I'd say like maybe once every two years or three years, I might take a big pole, like a, a curtain pole, and I beat this cardboard box all around the place. I chase it. I beat it around until it's flat. Okay, done with that. Yeah, now I'm done. Okay, there. Now I can see, oh, well, it's just a guy, you know, <laughs> there's not really, it's not such a freighted, weighted thing, right? So that's your process to get to that place of clarity and understanding. Yeah. Yes. So then what do you see so clearly now based on this intense road you've traveled? Like, what is it that you see where you're like, you know what, that, that younger version of me, at, you know, had to go through those things or needed to experience that. And, and what is it now that's so obvious to you? I am so glad I lived this long is what I'm so here to say. You know, had I not, I would not have had the chance to realize that I really, over time, invisible armor began to form starting at two and on from there. And, the, and it just was an invisible weight of shame that was semi-excavated, the different things that are just layered on you. And in fact, it just prevented me from investigating how I could learn to trust 
human nature, that's still, that's my next 20 years, okay? I hope I live to 92 because it's going to take uh, some time. It's not just a simple, easy thing. I can have my affirmations. I can have my little, you know, stick that I beat a rock with. I can have these things. But still, it takes a lot of courage, you know, and a lot of peace to part, you know, to put together a, a way to look. Like you said, it's the crack. I have to look at the crack and see the essence, the deep well of joy that's within all of us. That's where I need to go. And you know what's so consistent in every chapter, you know, of your story that you shared, there's this courage, there's this resolve. And I I really hope everybody watching, listening is hearing that because that's what, that's, that's how we grow. That's where confidence comes from. It comes from here's this really painful thing showing up, face it, feel it, heal it. I say that within the PBT Institute all the time. These things aren't there to derail us. They're there to show us how strong we are. How do we know by doing something with it? And it sounds like you had, unfortunately, uh, many opportunities to show how courageous you know you you were and you are. And this resolve just keeps showing up. Let's talk about nature. I want to talk about that a little bit because it sounds like that was um, that was a powerful tool for you to help you heal. Was it just the, the idea of being in nature? What was it that nature was doing for you? I have something I can read and that would be quick and maybe better. Um, so my childhood, my childhood was fraught with uncomfortable encounters with humans. In nature, I felt safe and free. I learned about trust by watching a bird fly on the wind, about everlasting change by watching the currents in the river. These and countless visual images I collected and used as solace, even perhaps to disassociate. These inform my intuitive color sense. This saying, this or something better, is handy when remodeling, writing, or doing decorative art. By accepting what is, I can determine what might be better. So what nature showed me, I mean, I would be sitting by the river and and be morose, maybe at 10 or whatever, I don't know. the rapids going by would just sound like they were laughing. And I would go, oh, you're right. You know, really, I'm just sitting here. This is really not so bad, right? I mean, I would just get these responses that, were, that I could completely interpret for me. Now, I've been with people who were raised in, in big cities like Manhattan. And when I had my company as a decorative artist, I had people from all over the world that worked for me. And this one woman was from a big uh, city in South Africa, and and she then lived in Manhattan, and she was terrified in nature, right? I mean, this is the thing. This is, again, the contrast. So the idea of nature being safe was completely foreign to her. And I can understand why some of the people in your list, some of your listeners might not be all keyed into nature. It's not like it's the answer for everyone. But it's still, I mean, just one flower is nature, you know, and you're, you know, seeing something tender and willing to show its whole self like one blossom is so it's so fulfilling to me it's so healing you know so to me I just see truth in nature it's that's so beautiful and and the big takeaway here is truly nature is so helpful so healing and so representative 
of truth. And, and you got that. And even if we can get that from a flower, that's wonderful. It, it, you know, it reminds me of too, of, you know, those, those sound machines. And it's so funny because I was checking out a few of them. And I remember one of them had actually the sound of city noise. Yeah. Right. This right? Is right. If you're yeah. so used to that, to you, that's sort of coming, you know, the, the sirens going and the horns honking and everything. So I get that. What do you want, as we wrap up, what do you want to make sure everyone knows? Uh, I would love to say this thing that was said to me that made that made such a huge difference and saves me from a lot of uh, woe. And that is, uh, you have a deep well of joy within you. You have that. That is what you have. And so this essence, uh, if you just can try to, well, I don't really like to say try to, if you embrace this truth, it will be a big help. It's helping me as I go forward, trying to learn how to love people. <laughs> so That's so beautiful. That really, you know, and it's, it's so true. It's, we can, and, and I see it. This is, we, we've always had lots of dogs and, and, you know, we take the dogs to the groomers or the, you know, or the vet. And it's like, there are some people who they just, they just don't like people. <laughs> and so they, they've just decided animals are just because they're honest. The, yes. you know, if you're honest, you know yes. where you stand, right? And um, and they're pretty predictable for the most part. And there's something uh, simple about that. And, and it sounds like nature has done that for you. Alisa, where do we go to learn more about you and the wonderful work you do? Um, my website is um, my, simply my name, elisastancillevine.com. Mm-hmm. And that has uh, that has all this recently published uh, essays and uh, my book, uh, which can be ordered and pre-ordered. It comes out June seventh, so I'm not sure when this will be airing, but it should be out and available, and you, it's available for pre-order. Um, and then that has all of my other links, which you can find and you can see That's who wonderful. I'm. Elisa, I want to thank you so much because I know there are so many people uh, listening, watching who are saying, I, I, I'm in such a jam and I just don't know how to get out of it. And maybe if you got that, just going outside and, and, and looking at the honesty of the trees and the rocks and the grass and the birds singing or whatever is a wonderful first step. So I want to thank you so much for your insight, for your wisdom. I know you helped so many people today. Thank you, Debbie. Thank you so much. Elisa found nature to represent safety and security, and thankfully, it gave her the support she needed to help her at a time when she needed it the most. Stay in touch with Elisa by going to elisastancillevine.com, and we'll have all of her information in the show notes at the pbtinstitute.com forward slash podcast. Here's my biggest takeaway. Question everything. Yes, it's hard to question what we're being told, but when we do, we find that certain beliefs we bought into just don't make sense. It can be scary to question things because it shatters our paradigm. It brings up so many things that now need to be reworked. We need to create a new set of rules that feels right to us. All of this is hard, but keep in mind that just because you were taught or told something 
doesn't make it true, doesn't make it right. And if it doesn't serve you, you don't need to keep it in place. Question everything and you may just learn that it's time for a new set of ideas and beliefs that serve you so much better. Of course, all of these limiting beliefs also create symptoms, illness, conditions, even disease. Find out what's lingering by taking the post-betrayal syndrome quiz, which you can find at the PBT, as in post-betrayal transformation, thepbtinstitute.com forward slash quiz. Can't wait to be with you next time. And here's to your breakthrough.